welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. Welcome to the very first interview episode of the Human Technology Podcast. I had the chance to talk to Sam Clark, the CEO, founder of uh, Conjure, a design office out of London in Great Britain. We know each other since uh, quite some time and uh, we had a couple of very, very nice beers together. We meet regularly at uh, various different events, the last time at the CES Las Vegas in uh, 2020. And um, yeah, he's a super interesting guy and uh, listen to this interview, listen to his thoughts on what design is, where he's coming from, how he started this company and uh, how he sees the future of uh, the automotive industry. Sam, great to have you here on my podcast. Um, we met a couple of times in various conferences. Uh, last time we had a couple of beers at the New York, New York at Las Vegas which was in uh, 2020. We didn't make it in 2021 for all of the reasons we all know. But thanks a lot um, that you give me a half an hour, 45 minutes of your time um, answering a couple of my questions. And so I'll be able to put that one onto my, my podcast. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me, Peter. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, shame we couldn't meet in person, but great to, great to see you again. Okay, excellent. So, with Conjure, you're running a successful successful design studio, automotive HMIs, cars, vehicles, motorbikes, mobility in general. Can you tell us a bit about what exactly is Conjure doing? Sure. Um, so, we're, as you say, a, a digital uh, design studio. We're based uh, based in central London. Um, have a team of about 20, let's say 25 full-time uh, with a handful of freelancers. And in terms of the work that we're doing... Um, We, we, we describe ourselves as an interface design and development agency, and we have begun life um, uh, making mobile applications for iOS and Android. But then around six years ago, um, we found ourselves um, in the automotive space purely by, by accident. And what had been a, a fringe piece of work um, for a British uh, supercar brand then started to, to move out into <coughs> interfaces for, for more vehicles and then, as you say, bikes. And now today, um, we're creating interfaces for, uh, we're doing some work in the marine world. We're doing some work, um, so we have to work with yachts. We're doing work with what I call heavy industrial um, uh, systems for water pump manufacture, Grimfoss, for instance. Uh, we're still doing automotive, working on a, a truck at the moment. Um, and um, so, yeah, it's, we're, well, that's how I describe ourselves, an interface agency. And uh, wherever, wherever there's an interface, we want to be there doing the UX, UI, motion and, and the development. Okay, cool. 
Can can you? T- I mean, we all have NDAs, and uh, not all of our clients are super happy if we talk about them. But there are there a few names you're allowed to talk to. Yeah, there's a couple I can probably name drop. Um, so we've had a we've had a long term relationship with Triumph Motorcycles, um, and we're we're proud to have, have produced their first all digital screen God, six years ago now. And flies. Um, we have done we've done a bit of work um, with uh, not so much on the HMI side, but we've worked with Bentley on 3D visualization. Um, we have worked with Royal Enfield. Um, we've worked with Ford Performance. Um, we produce the HMI design development for the uh, Le Mans Mini Ford GT, which is an exciting, exciting program. And then, as I mentioned, a uh, uh, UK-based um, uh, supercar brand and um, and a handful of, uh, of other brands uh, across the world um, in uh, in the East as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, f- I find it totally unique that you that you work on on with these motorbike companies like Royal Anfield and and Triumph. I mean, first of all, I'm I'm a passionate rider, so yeah. um, I owned I don't know at least half a dozen motorbikes in the past 20 years. Um, the one I'm having at the moment is a Harley Davidson Road King. Oh wow! And about 12 years ago, I worked on the very first Harley Davidson touchscreen HMI. Nice, uh, which I found super crazy. I mean, uh, if you're used to all the car stuff and and then the safe car environment, and suddenly you have to turn around your mindset into into bike bicycle worlds, uh, that that is a totally unique thing. Yeah, it was. And um, the the first first HMI, the Triumph Gem One, it was for the Triumph Street Triple, and we it was a full color screen. Um, we had um, we had quite a lot of control from a UX standpoint. So we had um, uh, buttons on the switch key, which you'll you'll know being a rider is under your kind of triumph under your left hand and um, had a directional pad too and um so we we're having to build the ux where there was very little like that if anything uh, on the market so it was quite quite exciting often when you're creating hmis for uh, you know machinery or cars or whatever a, lo- a lot of the challenges are kind of already solved um so everyone knows how media media play is going to work or everyone knows how hvac is going to, going to handle but this was um this is quite new so we um we actually built prototypes using uh, the 3D tool Unity, and we had them running on NVIDIA tablets, and we used PlayStation controllers plugged into the tablets to recreate the um the movement. So when testing the uh, testing the UX with riders and uh, and some of the team, we were we were able to to run it run it that way. We were even able to plug in a Bluetooth dongle into the bike, communicate with the tablet, and then use the bike switch cube and pull the data off the bike onto the tablet. So it was a, quite an authentic um, uh, testing experience, which we had to go through because it was all also new. Yeah, that's cool. That was for, for, for maintenance of the bike or why, why did you use the Bluetooth dongle? Um, it was so that we could, once we had the, the HMI working on the tablet, you could literally duct tape the, um, the tablet to the bike, um, turn it on, create the connection. And that way you were able to sit on the bike as, a, as you would a normal rider. And then use the switch cube, and then control everything from that tablet. And we were able to do that over Bluetooth. Okay, cool, cool. All right, how did you get to the point where you are today? Tell us about your background, um, your career. <laughs> how did you become the person you are today? <laughs> sort of a broad question. Well, 1984, I came kicking and screaming into the world. <laughs> um, my background is design, so I was um, a digital designer, and I'd, I'd wanted to go into computer graphics from an early age. I had a, an Amiga 500, remember one of them, and a uh, copy of Deluxe Paint 3, I think it was. So I was into graphics quite early on, and um, I studied multimedia at university, um, and I had plans to go into special effects, kind of uh, self-taught myself, 3D Studio Max when I was a student. Um, but the industry looked pretty rough, um, so I ended up uh, uh, as a web designer. Um, 
and I did three years in two different agencies. Um, and uh, and then uh, when the recession hit 2009, I'd already started doing a little bit of mobile at that point. Um, the iPhone was out, but there was no app store at that point. But I was doing software for the Nokia N95. And um, and then so when the recession hit and the agency I was working at collapsed, um, I took the, took the lead to move to London and, and find the condo. Mm -hmm. I think um, one, of the, one of the advantages I had um, when I was uh, fresh out of uni and I was a, a student was um, uh, I wasn't the best designer, uh, but I was, I was very, very fast. And um, the sales team at the, uh, the, especially the last agency I worked at, they, um, they would sneak up to the design studio and they knew that I was quick. <clears throat> and so they would ask me to create like, home pages and content pages um, for their pitches when they were going out to pitch. Uh, and they weren't allowed to do that because, of course, I was meant to be on build work. But I would do it anyway and um, often uh, after hours. And then they would, after doing that for a few months, they started taking me along to the pitches as well. So even though I was quite young, I got exposure to the selling process of, the, of, of that digital well, website back then. And um, so that stood me in kind of really good stead when when Conjure, uh, when I founded Conjure, it gave me a chance to, you know, deploy that what I'd learned during that period um, to help help grow the business. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Conjure is your own business, or is that uh, somebody else's business that you're running? It's my own business. Well, uh, I say it's my own business. I own um, uh, I own half of it, uh, and uh, I've got two two other shareholders who um uh, who own who own the rest and. Um, so yes, it was uh, it was founded uh, it was founded by me. Um, it's called uh, it's called Conjure because uh, I do uh, card tricks. I'm an amateur magician. I just thought it was a nice name, so that's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So 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 why, why did you start your own business? I mean, um, with a talent like you are, you could work at any of these big design agencies. So what was, oh, your, what was your motivation <laughs> of doing all that? Flash will get you everywhere. Um, no, it's something I always wanted to do. Um, I I liked. Um, I, I wanted to start a business, and um, and I, I got <clears throat> I got a bit lucky with my timing. I mean, obviously the recession was the pants for everybody, um, but uh, mobile um, mobile as we know it was really just starting. It was right at the, right at the beginning, and so if I'd have left the agency I was at, which was a really successful agency, you know, we would, we'd been doing work for for the Beatles, um, J.K. Rowling, Lewis Hamilton, Disney, and you know, I, I would have just left and had to try and recreate the agency I was working at, which you know. Wouldn't have been that much fun, but because mobile was so new, I got to do something fresh, and that was that was exciting. And I was keen to keen to grow, build build something on my own, grow it, work with great people, and um and you know see <clears throat> see the conjure name on the work that goes out the door. So it had been an ambition of mine for a long time, and uh, and the timing I just got lucky with apps mm. when they came along when they did. Okay, tell us again a little more about yourself. Uh, what were your biggest wins and your biggest defeats? I mean, you're running an own business and there's always a point when you cannot sleep at night where you do not know how to pay your rent and how to pay your people and whatever. Um, yeah. What are the, the, the ups and downs that, that you experienced in the past years? Ah, there's been, there's been a lot. Um, there's been, yeah, <laughs> I think we, one of the mistakes we made quite early on is we we, we grew quite quite rapidly um, and we we didn't really <laughs> this is going back uh, so going about eight years ago now and we didn't really know what we were doing that's uh, the, the honest answer but but mobile was so new and so few people did it um, that I think a lot of we were able to pick up work where <clears throat> you know in this day and age like you know in, in, in this, this this period we probably wouldn't have been able to and um, so we we got quite big and we over we overextended ourselves I think we we ended up with quite a large development team spread over two offices, um, but there wasn't 
<clears throat> not through their fault, but there, there wasn't quite enough senior experience in there. And then there was almost no middle management. And then there was just myself and the two other directors. And um, and that was that was a really dangerous period. Um, we were we were running on fumes a lot. Um, touch wood, we have never not paid anyone at Conjure. Um, uh, but but yeah, there was some hair, real hairy moments there. And we we took a decision. Um, oh God, it must have been about four years ago now, maybe even five, to, to basically cut the business in half and start again. Um, and that was yeah, that was a, that was a really really nerve wracking period. Um, so we closed the, the the office that was based um, uh, in another town um, outside of London. Um, we we let go of some of the clients that we had, and um, and then we we got outside helping um, to, to help us properly professionalize what we were doing. And, um, and we've been on that transformation curve since, and um, the business is healthy. But it was yeah that those those early days with the large teams, massive wage bills, and and not not the, the talent or leadership in place was was hairy. Um, we we came close to collapsing a couple of times during that period. Mm-hmm. And in terms of successes, um. We've had uh, we've had breakthrough projects and, and accounts over the piece, um, and I think um, the, I mean, you know, we talked. Uh, we said we can't talk about a lot of the, a lot of the clients we have because of NDAs, but the Ford the Ford one I can. Um, getting involved in the Ford GT program was um, was an amazing amazing piece of work. We were a UK operation, um, and you know, this was an all American product. It was being built in secret, so there was only a handful of people within inside the Ford organisation that knew being built it was um, being designed under this uh this, this little basement in the roof factory outside of, outside of detroit and um and i flew out there for the first time and it took a while to win the trust of the uh, tier one that got us on board but um once once we were in there we were underground like working in the buck you know trying to push the limit of what we could with the with the software uh, stack that we had um, and that was that was amazing to have that trust from such a huge organization um we worked on that program for about eighteen months, and then there was the and, you know we couldn't tell anyone it was all a big secret, and uh, and then then the big launch, the reveal, and that, that opened a lot of doors for us. You know, finally we were able to break cover, and you know yourself, Peter, how difficult it is to, to promote work. You know, when you're in particularly in the automotive area, so to be able to take that to market and say this is us. You know, every other agency in the UK probably pick up and mm-hmm. you know notice of us at that point, and that was that was a, a real proud program that that was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tell, tell us a little more about the 40G GT. I mean, I know the car. Not not everybody uh, of my listeners uh, will will know it. Sure. So, so the um, America America uh, Americans aren't particularly um, well known for, for for putting out supercars. They have, you know, you've had some Corvettes and Dodge Vipers and the like in the past. But if um, when you think supercar, you tend to think of European manufacturers like. You know the some of the the Brits and the um, uh, and the Italians and um, and then French Bugatti and the like. So Ford wanted to make um uh, they wanted to make a new uh, new American supercar. They wanted to put the flag in the sand. I believe I'm going to get someone will correct me wrong. It was the 50th anniversary of their Le Mans win with the original GT or something like that. 30, 40, 50. And so <clears throat> the the team their side had been given the brief to to create an all new an all new Ford GT an all an, an all American supercar. Um, which would compete and win its category at Le Mans, and they, they didn't have long to do it either. Um, so they had to produce a, a road version, um, uh, and they had, I think, I think, I think again, someone will correct me if I've got this wrong, but I think to enter Le Mans, you have to have a road version of that car in some shape or form. And so, so that's where the car car came from, um, and it's uh, you know it's an old combustion, um, you know, uh, old combustion vehicle. Um, I think it's naturally aspirated. I don't think it has a turbo. Uh, the Le Mans one did, I think. Um, but yeah, that was that's the background in the car. It's where it came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally love it because it's such an icon of of car design, and so 
um, even the colors are fixed. I mean, you have this light blue and orange uh, on the outside and golf, um, golf, yeah. So, 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 what kind of challenge was it to design a an HMI for for this car, the user experience design? It was it was, <clears throat> it was very challenging. Um, we had um, we had to we'd been, we we the software stack had kind of was already already in place and the, and the tools, the IDE and everything else um, was already there. And so, so when we were brought onto the project, we um, we didn't have much kind of input into 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 any of that. It had already been fixed, and um, and that was understandable. You know, you, you see that less now in this day and age, where there's more planning up front, and you know, um, experts like yourself, have got, you know, brought in um, in order to to make sure that all goes smoothly. So, so we kind of had to hit the ground running with um uh, with a tool tool chain that was already there. We we also had um, a lot of performance um, issues in terms of, with the with the actual power of the, the chipset that had been selected, and so so we when working with the the full performance team, we went in with these quite quite out there you know um, concepts. We were given uh, again credit to the Ford team; they gave us a, a very open brief um, and said just have some fun, show us some, some awesome shit basically. And we were like, yeah, we can do that. And then um, but then when reality kind of came crashing home, we were like, okay, you know, we were not going to be able to do half the stuff that we think that we that we wanted to do. And so that's when our engineers um, uh, started working with the tier one supplier um, and uh, we worked very closely together. But there was intense, intense sessions trying to reduce things like boot time. You know, we were we were getting, I think, 20, 30 second boot time on the system. I mean, you could get the car up to license losing speed and then back to zero before the system would even turn on. So we were like, you know, we're going to have to optimize, optimize the hell out of this. Um, and, and then obviously memory as well. You know, it's deciding what you what you're going to put on the CPU, what you're going to put into memory, you know, what loads at what ignition state. And um, so there was a, a real we had to kind of very quickly adapt to a, a tight feedback um, uh, iteration cycle for testing. But but again, Ford, uh, Ford and our, our tier one supplier were, were, were really, really good. And um, we were able to, to get on top of that. But again, there were some hairy, hairy moments where we were like, are we, are we ever going to get this thing? You know, optimized and, and and started in the in the time that we need, but yeah, the team team pull through. Yeah, I mean, this is the crazy thing: the more horsepower you have under the hood, the less you have in the electronics. It's mental, isn't it? Yeah, you know, when when I talk to people outside of the automotive world, um, they often find that quite surprising. It's almost the the more the more you pay, <laughs> kind of the, the the less you kind of get, particularly in the luxury and the and the supercar side of things. And um, yeah, it's a little known secret that I mean, when you look at the uh, Audi systems and the uh, the Mercedes systems, you know, they're <clears throat> BMW. They're really, really good, and um, they've got the they've got the horsepower to to invest in those those, pro, those platforms because they're they're going to be selling X number of cars. You're only selling a handful of, of one supercar. You're not going to spend you know all that R and D and that that money. And so, so yeah, it's when I'm in a party, it's always like dropping that little factoid. You know. Yeah, yeah. Very often these these uh, small series cars need to do uh, need to use what what's left over from from the large series. This is my experience. So yeah. we have to use the Volkswagen system of the last generation. That's what they told me at a British car maker. Yeah. And um, so yeah, that's super yeah. crazy. I mean, uh, you you buy a car that costs you two hundred thousand euros, two hundred fifty thousand euros, and uh, the car is is worse than a system in a twenty five thousand euros car, right? crazy yeah and um i think i think though um it, it will change there's there, there's a there'll, there'll be a plateau um the you know we've seen that we've seen that in the desktop world of computing you know desktop desktop machines now they don't need to be any more power unless you're doing like you know heavy duty 3d graphics you know your, your average laptop is fine for for your mom and your grandma and, and for everyone now and i think 
you know, there is there is a plateau there. And I think I don't know when it will be, but maybe five, ten years time, um, once once the technology becomes more homogenized, I, I think it, it won't be a problem. Mm. You know, I mean, I, smartphones are already there. You know, they, they really can't smartphones really can't get much better. Mm. Now, you know, they just put more cameras and more tech on them. But in terms of what it does and its, it's pace and speed, you know, what's an extra, mm. you know, yeah. hundred megahertz going to do? Nothing. You know? So I think I think it will get, it will get better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I call this the edge of value. I mean, uh, in smartphones, we have reached that. I mean, having a few more pixels on the display or a little yeah. more resolution of the camera or a processor that is uh, 0.5 seconds uh, faster in a minute. Yeah. I mean, does this really count? Does this really add value? But um, yeah, but but I, what I see in the car industry, we're a little away from that. It's, um, what, what is interesting is the, um, uh, is, is, Looking at how the car industry has um, has has evolved and matured um, over the last last half half decade, um, in the in the yachting world, we're starting to see a shift now too, and um, and it's it's probably five years behind um, uh, automotive, and so it's quite exciting having been through that you know and been on that journey with the OEMs on the automotive side and, and on the you know on the two wheel side as well, you know looking at the boats. Um, The, the, the manufacturers of these, you know, enormous luxury yachts, even smaller ones, they're starting to think, well, can we, you know, what can we do with this experience? You know, what, what can we change? And they're starting to ask the questions, right? Up until now, they've been buying everything off the shelf and just plug it in. And then, and then the, the providers of that, 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 that software, they're starting to think, okay, you know, what can we do to differentiate ourselves and how can we make, you know, make it more mobile focused or customer focused? So, so it's it, it's interesting seeing the evolution of another industry having gone through that you know like I said the last last six seven years of the auto. Yeah, yeah. Right. So since we start talking about the future of the automotive industry or the, the history and then the future of automotive industry, um, yeah, I, I think we are facing disruptive changes in the next years. You talked about the next five years, um, maybe it's ten years. Uh, I always talk about the case mantra: um, connected, uh, automated, shared, electric. Um, how do you see that? I mean, what what are the big mega trends in the automotive industry? What 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 changes will be faced in the next years? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a broad, broad and great question. I mean, I you know I, I focus more and more on a smaller and smaller part of the of the experience. So um, whether I'm I, I can offer some sage insight um, into into sweeping changes, I'm not sure. Um, Why? There's a couple of things I'm. A couple of less certain ideas in my head. I think the customers, when it comes to screens and vehicles, um, I think the you know the you see these concept cars and uh, you know they have these big <coughs> big full you know full, full with screens and um, you know across left to right. Um, but customers are always going to bring their own devices into into vehicles. And um, if you're if you're the passenger in a vehicle, you know you're not doesn't matter how cool all the all the screens are and, and the features and functions. You know you're going to be looking at your phone because that's a device that's customized for you. You know, we've seen a shift away from the, the luxury vehicles with the screens in the back, um, the back seats, because you know the kid's going to get in the car with his iPad or the other person on the phone. So, so I think the a lot of these future concept vehicles, which are just full of screens, I think that we'll we'll actually see a, a retreat from that. And I think Tesla have kind of already started started that that charge with some of the newer newer concepts and models. Um, I think I think voice control is um, is really exciting, and I, I think the Again, it's what we're seeing at the moment, the MBUX systems, ladies and Teslas, you know, their VPA, virtual personal assistants um, and voice features are, are still quite rudimental. And companies like Google and Nuance, um, you know, they've got they've got a ways to go. Um, but they're making such great strides with the technology that I think the 
that 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 experience of talking to your vehicle and you know classic kit from night rider you know the, the vehicle as a personality i think that's really exciting and we have in in outside of the car world we have you know vpas in the home so you have alexa you have siri you have um uh, cortana and um and then if you've got a, a vpa for your car you know what will 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 your car vpa come with you into the house um you know will it be on your phone you know the nomi um the, the character in the neo i think is, is absolutely brilliant and um you know it's idea it's on the app and then it's an actual like tamagotchi like device I mean, that'll be a bit twee for some people but as a concept the vehicle with a personality or a vehicle that homes personality i think is really exciting and i think we'll see more innovation in that space um going forward mm-hmm. yeah how, how do you see the the changes in um automated driving yeah um from an yeah. hmi point of view yeah i mean, if, the, <laughs> I mean people, people people if you aren't driving your car you know you're going to be you're going to be working playing or sleeping you know these are these are the three things you're going to be doing and you know google and apple want you to be doing two of those you know two of those things on on their platforms um and and so there's there's been some brilliant concepts you know that have been pushed around i think with volvo um i know that the uh brilliant guys over car design research had created this this case study where they had a car that could um it's change its modes you know based on what, what they used to need there was like a party setup and there was a sleeping setup and all of this i think that's really interesting and the if you're if the if the, the vehicle becomes a place where you're not driving it and and you are experienced, you're doing something, you're experiencing something there, then all of the major tech players will, will want in um, and they will want to own that experience. So Tencent on the entertainment side, you know, Google, you know, for everything else. And and I think we'll see a war, um, uh, a war for the for the interior of the car. Because one, once there's that, that killer experience coming from a, a giant tech firm, um, I don't think the OEMs will ever be able to push them out. <clears throat> once they're in, they're, they're gone. And so, so I think a lot of the OEMs, even, you know, even in fact, almost all of them, I think they will have an uphill struggle to try and maintain ownership of their customer because once they lose them, um, that will be, I, I, they'll, they'll never get them back. And so so I think it's, it's going to be exciting for us as consumers. Um, the, the whole autonomy and how we use our vehicles is actually changing. Um, but from a, from a commercial standpoint, there will be a, a proper bloodbath in the background as, um, as everyone fights each other for that, that slice of the pie. Mm-hmm. Cool. How about electrification? What what influence from your point of view will that have on the interior HMIs? To be honest, you're you're probably better better place to answer that than I am, Peter. Um, I I don't. We we've we've not seen an awful uh, an awful lot of change in terms of the work that we do. I mean, we we've been designing HMIs for all sorts of different uh, different systems and, and and different different sectors. So. In terms of the data we're displaying and um, and the and the services that we're we're building um, for our customers, it really doesn't make an awful lot of difference. You know, if you're, you know, okay, you're not going to have a tachometer, you know, or a gear number, but you are going to have range, and um, and you're going to have you know battery charge, and and there's some services you know um, uh, around that which you add on, but it's no different to to any 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 other challenge we would take on, on a daily basis. And I think from a user's perspective, they just they just want the car to go, and um and and be cheap to run so i i don't think it will have a big impact whether it's combustion or electric i'm curious what, what do you think i'm really curious to see what you think about that <laughs> yeah let's go tell you did it wrong all right yeah i mean from from a gen, general general car concepts um i i believe that uh, at the moment we are where we were 120 years ago with uh when we replaced uh, the in the horse carriages the horses by combustion engines 
they basically took the the the, the carriages yeah, and, and and had and had an engine in there. Yes. And then over the years, the the car design evolved into what it is today. And today we are doing exactly the same things. We rip off the combustion engine and we put in uh, an electric engine. But we're still using the same design concepts. Mm. And that, for in a way, is is for a good reason because I mean these cars are very well developed, and we have more than just the powertrain that defines what a car is. Um, basically, the idea that uh, uh, I don't know crash test, for example, mm. eh? that that's the same for an electric and for an for a combustion engine car. It's the same for aerodynamics or ergonomics. You know, mm. all these remain the same. And uh, I, I also believe, just like you do it um, for the HMI, there will be some additional information like uh, on the map showing you where the next uh, charging open charging station is. How will I get there or not? Or do I need to turn off the, the seat heating or the air condition to reach it? Or, you know, information like that. So we will have a change in this. But the, the basic idea that there will be a separate uh, uh, or a totally different HMI in electric cars um, that is not what I'm what I'm, I'm what I'm believing in. I think um, it's gonna gonna make it really hard for different car brands to differentiate themselves. You know, up until now, you know, a lot of advertising and um, and and brand positioning is around the handle and feel of that drive. You know, and when everything's electric, how do you deliver the, the personality of the vehicle in, through that for a, a, a driving experience? Mm. And that's going to be a big challenge for for OEMs. You know, if you, and and how. You've got the exterior, you've got how it looks, obviously. Um, and, you know, the interior, if you rip the battery out, you've got a bit more space. And um, so I rip the, the, the engine out, you've got more space. But mm. but I think that will be a big challenge. And it might have to be through the, the additional services and um, and that, that that interconnectivity between house and work and car that, that will the OEMs will have to use to differentiate themselves. But as I touched on earlier, what, you know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, they're all going to be piling in to, 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 do, to provide that. Mm. So... Big challenge for the uh, automakers, I think, coming up. Tell yeah. you what, pet hate of mine. I mean, you must see this all the time. You know, I was thinking about services. This whole, oh, you know, you'll be able to, you know, be in your car and then you're going to get all these restaurants and you're going to be able to it'll recommend a restaurant for you and you can book your food. I see, I see that case study every bloody year when I'm at CES and South by Southwest or wherever. And I, I want to see some figures about how many people actually ordered dinner from there. You know, from their cars, <laughs> it's always it's always a case study. Everyone like, oh, it's going to be an amazing connected future. I'm like, no, it's no. not going to happen. Not going to happen. No, 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 no. And I mean, it's not new. I can do this with my smartphone, and uh, when I'm in a car, and I can grab my smartphone, and then I can order my dinner and and pick it up somewhere. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there, there's one big German uh, car maker that just released his uh, prime brand brand uh, primary car. In yeah. China, and they were laughing at China because they said, "Hey, oh, come on, guys, uh, we're doing this every day and everywhere we are. You, we don't need your stupid car." To <laughs> I love it, and it seems every OEM is guilty of it. One one year or another, they've had a they've had a demo of that at, uh, yeah. at the car shows, the tech shows. Yeah, excellent. So, thanks a lot. We have reached the end almost. So, there's one final question I would like to ask you. Is there anything else that you would like to give to my listeners as a little nugget, as a little gift, a uh, little wisdom that you may have that you can pass on to, to the listeners of my podcast? Maybe maybe not so much a nugget of wisdom, maybe a, a, a sort of inspiration. You know, 
I've been, you know, fortunate enough to um, to work on some some amazing programs, you know, which we've which we've touched on here, and um, and with the help of obviously my team and, and everyone else getting this far. But I think if anyone wants to like go on the same journey and, and try try themselves, go out there, build an agency, or just trying to pack projects like that, I would I'd really urge you uh, urge people to go for it because because <laughs> the little known fact about me is I don't actually have a driving license and I've never had one. Mm. So if I if I can work these programs and never have a license, then I think anyone anyone can get here. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> awesome. Great to see you, Peter. Thanks so much yeah. for your time. Excellent, Sam. Thanks a lot um, for participating. So I'm going to stop the recording now. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time. Take care and stay healthy.